Good morning, church family. Please take a seat. I pray that everyone had a blessed Christmas and New Year's holiday season. I can't tell you how excited I am to be here with you all to preach the Word of God as our lead pastor. Pastor Mark enjoys some much-deserved rest and time with his family. A little over a year ago, I stood in front of you all and I preached on the topic of trusting God in all circumstances. My prayer for us on that first day in 2023 was that we as a church family would come together and we would trust harder, trust deeper, and trust more fully in God in each and every circumstance. Now that I stand before you again, the beginning of 2024, reflecting on 2023, I have to ask the question, how do we do church? How did we do? I know that may sound like a, a trick question, but I assure you it's not. Because the truth is, is really only God knows the true answer. We all know when it comes to trusting fully in God, it's very easy to do when you're relaxing, soaking up the sun, sitting on some tropical beach somewhere. But it's a little bit more difficult when you're sitting in the middle of a storm. I wish I could stand up here today and say that 2023 was an easy year, full of happy circumstances, an abundance of happy circumstances. But I think we all know that wouldn't be true. Because the truth is that for some of us, if not many of us, 2023 was a really hard year. Now, is that to say it was not a year filled with blessings? Absolutely not. But the enemy, he would love to convince us that just because our year was not filled with an abundance of happy circumstances, it means that God was not there. It means that God does not love us and God does not see us. We as believers know that cannot be anything more than false. Because God's love is not transactional. God is the one being who knows us best, loves us the most, and is in complete control of our entire life. Furthermore, even though at times it may not feel like it, God does some of his best work in the midst of the storm. If you open your Bibles up with me today to Mark chapter 9, verse 14, we are going to be focusing in on the topic of the power of faith in the midst of the storm. Faith seems to be like one of those topics that is constantly and consistently preached on at in no matter what church you attend. But my question is why? Why is faith so important? If we look in the Bible, the word faith is one of the most used words in that book. Depending on which version of the Bible you have, the word faith, it appears in upwards to 300 times in the Old and New Testament. Now, I have learned many things in marriage one of the things I've definitely learned that as my wife, Rachel, has to say something to me 300 times, it typically means she's trying to tell me something extremely important. So this should lead us to believe that if the word faith appears in upwards of 300 times in the, in the word of God, it must mean that God is trying to tell us something extremely important. We preach on faith so much because when you are in the middle of the storm, and the wind is blowing, and the rain is pounding, and the, 
Hail is slamming so hard that it makes you think that just for a moment, God is not there. It's in that moment that faith is all we have. It's in that moment that faith is all that we have. A renowned Bible scholar once said, faith doesn't mean the absence of fear. It means facing fear and trusting that God's goodness is greater. Our strength and our perseverance through any storm is powered through our faith and trust in the truth of God's word. As believers, we do not trust in God's goodness by blind faith. No, we as believers in Jesus Christ trust in God's goodness through evidence. And that evidence can be found right here in the Word of God. Specifically, there is evidence on the power of faith that can be found in Mark chapter 9, verse 14, where Jesus is, in, is teaching a very important lesson to his disciples. There's a very common misconception of the disciples and the belief that during the time of Jesus' uh, ministry on earth, that the disciples were all men of strong and powerful faith, when in fact... That is the complete opposite. During the time of Jesus' ministry, the disciples are described and characterized as men of misunderstanding and shallow faith. And we see evidence of this in Mark chapter 8, where Jesus says to the disciples, Do you not understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes that not see? Do you have ears that do not hear? Now, I would love nothing more than to dive into those specific two verses to further explain exactly what Jesus was saying in that moment and why. But for the purpose of today's sermon, what is important for us to understand, that is even in the presence of the Son of God, the disciples still struggled with their faith and their ability to believe. Just how many of us as believers today struggle with our faith and our ability to believe. Where we find Jesus and the disciples in Mark chapter 9 is about two plus years into Jesus' ministry. And for those years, the disciples have had a front row seat to seeing, experiencing, and witnessing Jesus' daily life and his ministry. They've had an opportunity to watch his preaching, to observe his miracles, and to even see him debate religiously with those that would oppose him. They got to see everything. So for those two plus years, they had been living by sight. But soon, they will be required to live by faith. Because unknowingly to them, Jesus is beginning to make his way towards Jerusalem, where he will be arrested, he will be crucified, where he will rise again, and where he will ultimately ascend into heaven. And with Jesus' ascension into heaven, they will no longer be in his physical presence thus no longer able to live by sight. Much how we, as believers, all must live today. What we see in Mark chapters 9 and 10 is that Jesus is beginning to step away from his public ministry, and he's shifting his focus to the training of the disciples. The training of the disciples for when, they are, when he is no longer physically with them. And we see in these two chapters that Jesus teaches six lessons. And these lessons are not just for the disciples, but they're for all of us as well. And the first lesson 
is on the power of faith. So I'm going to begin reading for us in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked the father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that crowd was quick, the crowd was quickly coming and gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter in him again. Then it came out shrieking, throwing him into a terrible convulsion. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said he was dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him and stood up. After he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive out the spirit? And he told them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer. There are five points from this story that I want us to focus in on. And those five points are going to lead us to the ultimate lesson that Jesus was trying to teach the disciples, thus trying to teach us as well. What we see in this text is a situation where Jesus at first is not physically present with the disciples. Where is Jesus? At the beginning of Mark chapter 9, we see that Jesus is up in the high mountain, believed to be Mount Hebron, and he is partaking in the transfiguration. And there with him is Peter, James, and John. And the other nine disciples are down waiting for Jesus in the valley in the town there. While the disciples are in the town, a crowd begins to gather and a crowd begins to grow around them. In the time of Jesus, as we all know, there was no social media. There was no TMZ. There was no paparazzi. There was no way for these towns to actually know when Jesus would be there. One of the only ways would be through identifying the disciples and followers and making the assumption that Jesus would be where his disciples were. And so because of this, the crowd begins to grow around the disciples. And as it grows, the crowd begins to realize that Jesus is not physically present. And that is key. The fact that Jesus was not present is so key that it is actually our first point. Jesus was not physically present. Because in this crowd, there were also scribes. And scribes were public servants described as experts in the Mosaic law. And they were there purely for the purpose to discredit Jesus. They wanted to challenge and discredit him in front of the crowd. But here's the thing. 
the scribes didn't actually want to debate with Jesus. What they wanted was to debate with the disciples. Why? Because Jesus schooled them every single time. So when they get there and they see that Jesus is not there, they see this as an easy win opportunity. And they want to challenge the disciples in front of the crowd, thus discrediting him that way. So the story starts with Jesus arriving from the high mountain. He's coming down from the high mountain, he's walking into the town, and he sees the large crowd. And in the middle of the crowd are the disciples and the scribes arguing. Once the crowd recognizes Jesus, they run to him, and Jesus asks the question, what are you arguing about? And what we see is at first, no one answers Jesus. The disciples don't want to answer Jesus because whatever argument is going on, let's be very clear, the disciples aren't winning. So they're embarrassed. They don't want to respond. The scribes, even though the scribes are winning this debate, again, they don't want to debate with Jesus, so they say nothing. Who do we see answer Jesus? A father. A father who is in the midst of a terrible storm. And not just any storm. It was a demonic storm. One that has taken hold of his son. Parents, I don't know about you. I'm the type of parent that I hate going to the doctor's office just to watch my kids because I can't watch them get the injections and I can't watch them get the shots. So I can only imagine, I can't even fathom the pain that this father was experiencing, the storm that he is in, having to watch his son daily in unimaginable pain and him being unable to do anything about it. So he answers Jesus and he says, Teacher, I brought my son to you. I can only imagine the desperation in the father's voice as he's answering Jesus to say, He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. It grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. So we learn right there what had caused the debate and the argument between the scribes and the disciples. The disciples had made an attempt to cast the demon out of the boy, but were unable to. Now, why does this matter? Why is this important? Why does it matter that the disciples were unable to cast the demon out? Wasn't Jesus the one that does all the miracles? What we learned in Mark chapter 8, verses, chapter 6, excuse me, verses 13 through 14 is that Jesus had given the power over unclean spirits to his disciples. So Jesus straight up delegated his power to the disciples so that they could cast out demons. And Mark records that they were not only casting out a couple demons, they were casting out many demons. So what is the difference between this situation and past situations? What's the difference between this demonic situation and other demonic situations? The fact that the disciples were unable to use the power that Jesus had delegated to them was evidence of a fundamental rooted problem in the disciples. A problem that leads Jesus in verse 19 to this burdened expression of saying, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? In other versions of the Bible, this is translated into, in the beginning of the verse, oh, Faithless generation. Oh, faithless generation. 
The rooted problem in the disciples was the fact that they lacked faith when Jesus was not physically there. That is what is the difference between this demonic situation and past demonic situations. Jesus was not there. Remember, the disciples had been living with the front row seat to Jesus' daily life and ministry, seeing, experiencing, and witnessing everything. But the moment Jesus steps away, they're faithless with unbelief. When they cannot see Jesus, when they cannot sense his presence, they struggled to believe. Oh, faithless generation. Church, we all know, oh, O-H, oh, that is not a normal greeting in the Bible. Oh is an emotional, exhausted, frustrated, irritated expression. And we see Jesus frustrated here just for a second. For the past two plus years, the disciples have seen everything. They've gotten to see Jesus do it all. So Jesus in this point is essentially saying, are you serious? What more must I do? What else must I show you for you to have faith? You have seen me for two years. I can only imagine Jesus' frustration in that moment. So what does Jesus say? Bring the boy to me. And they bring the boy to Jesus. And Jesus looks at the boy, and the moment he does, he knows everything that he needs to know. But what do we see Jesus do. Jesus looks to the Father. The Father who is struggling. The Father who is in pain. The Father who is in the midst of a terrible storm. And then he calmly asks the Father the question, how long has this been going on? Church, let's not even pretend for a second that Jesus doesn't already know the answer to this question. So if Jesus already knows the answer to this question, then why is he even asking it? Why does he need to know this information? Does he, does he actually need to know the information? No, he already knows it. Is the information valuable for his power? Like, is there a statute of limitations to Jesus' miracles? No. So then, what is the point for Jesus, even knowing everything, taking the moment to be with the Father, and to ask him the simple question of how long has this been going on? The point is, is that Jesus wanted to hear from the Father. Jesus wanted to be there for the Father. Despite knowing everything, Jesus wanted to be there to hear the Father's pain. Because Jesus cares. Because God cares. This, what we see, is not a power move by Jesus. He could care less if anyone was around him. This was a love move between him and the Father who is in the storm. And what we see in this significant, yet easily overlooked, compassionate moment from Jesus is him showing us in the Bible that he cares. For the Father's pain. Just how he cares for our pain. How he cares for our struggles. How he cares for our heartbreak. How he cares for our storms. 
Jesus cares so much that he wants to hear from us. And that's our second point. Perhaps the point that really all of us need to hear is Jesus cares. At this moment in the story, we see Jesus coming to and meeting the Father in the middle of the storm, in his pain, and the Father asks, but if, but if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus responds to the Father and says, if you can, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. I mean, honest, church, this is probably one of my top, top favorite responses from Jesus in this moment. This verse is one of those verses that is really misunderstood quite a bit by our culture. Our culture loves to take the saying of everything is possible for the ones who believe and twist it into this, as long as you believe, all your dreams are going to come true. But that is not what Jesus is saying. The Father in his storm is saying, Jesus, if you can do anything, help me. Help us. And what Jesus is saying back is kind of a little smart in the beginning of, if you can, if you, if you can do anything, and just, if you can, let's be clear, if you can, this is a statement. This is not a question from Jesus. The real thing that Jesus is saying is, oh, I can. Oh, I can do anything. So when the Father is asking the question, Jesus, if you can do anything, can you help us? Jesus' response is, oh, I can do everything. I can do anything. But do you believe that I can do anything? Just because Jesus can do anything does not mean that Jesus is going to do anything. Because Everything is done in accordance to God's will, not our will. And that is what is typically so misunderstood by our culture these days. And that is the challenge of faith. Do we have the faith to believe that Jesus can do anything regardless of whether or not he actually does it? The issue we see in the disciples is not a lack of power. It's a lack of faith. The power to cast the demon out was always there, but the faith was not. In verse 24, the father cries out to Jesus and says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Talk about an honest answer from the Son of God. An honest, real, raw, vulnerable answer. And that's what God wants. God wants us to come to him in our vulnerability to ask for help. Because what the Father is saying is, yes, Jesus, I believe. Yes, Jesus, I have faith. But Jesus, I have a lot of doubt. Help me. Help me. And Jesus wants us to come to him and ask for help. The, what is so powerful about the Father's response in this moment for us is that no matter what storm you are in, no matter what storm you've ever been in, no matter where you are currently in the middle of your life, no matter what, we have all found ourselves in a position to where at some point we needed to ask God for help. 
Whether or not we have done it, we have been there to where we have known that we need help. And from there, we see Jesus stepping in, meeting the Father in the storm, and providing help. And from there, Jesus sees the crowd coming closer, and he quickly rebukes the spirit and commands it to come out of the boy. And after a little thrashing, the boy becomes so calm that the crowd actually believes he's dead. Jesus then takes the boy by the hand and stands him up, and he arises. And from here, we find our fourth point. Jesus calls us to believe. After the commotion of the crowd dwindles down, Jesus and the disciples are able to step away from some, for some private time. They enter a house, and Mark records that there, the disciples begin to ask Jesus questions. Why couldn't we do what you said we could do? Why, why couldn't we cast out the demon? Jesus, you said we had the power. And we see Jesus calmly make the response to them, that this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What does Jesus mean by this? Is this? Was he saying that this was some type of super demon, that in order for them to cast this demon out, they needed more prayer, more power, more strength, more something? No. The disciples weren't able to utilize the power that Jesus had delegated to them because they lacked the faith. So Jesus uses this opportunity to encourage prayer which is answering us and implying that the more time and the more effort that we spend in prayer, the stronger our faith will grow. Thus ending our final point, that prayer leads to a growth in faith. Taking these five points, we find our application and we find the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples. And that lesson is, that even when Jesus is not physically present, Jesus still cares. Not only does Jesus care, but Jesus can do anything. And all Jesus asks is that we believe. And if we are weak in our belief, we can strengthen our faith to believe through prayer. I can say with a pretty good amount of confidence that everyone here, I'm sure, has that one point or another, found themselves stuck in a wind-blowing, rain-pounding, good old, hail-slamming Texas storm. Am I right? The thing we can always count on about storms is that they always bring some level of discomfort. No matter how big the storm is, no matter how small the storm is, no matter where it is, there's always some level of discomfort that comes with it. And for the past five years, for as long as my wife, Rachel, and my family and I, we have lived in Little Elm, whenever a storm hits our town, I can always guarantee, without a doubt, there's always going to be one person, at least one, who says, man, that storm was rough. But we really needed the rain. That storm was rough, but we really needed the rain. As hard as it is for us to admit, sometimes what our relationship with God needs most is a good old Texas-sized storm. Even though it's not comfortable, 
Sometimes what our heart needs most is just a little bit of rain. Because what we see as important and what God sees as important are two very different things. Where we are focused on our comfort, God is focused on our hearts. And God will do anything to ensure that our hearts are pointing in the right direction towards Jesus. And sometimes he has to use a storm to point us in that direction. Church, I really do wish I could stand up here and say that 2023 was an easy year with no stormy weather for all of us. But we all know that wouldn't be true. Because the truth is that there are some people in this room right now who are sitting in the middle of a storm. Not only that, there are some people who have been in that storm since before 2023 and most likely will be there much after 2024. And the hardest thing is that there are some people in this room that have been in the storm for so long that they're beginning to feel that God is not there and they're losing their faith. And if that's you, if you are sitting in the middle of a storm, what I want to say to you is that Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you just how he saw the Father in the middle of his storm. Jesus not only sees you, but Jesus loves you. And Jesus wants you to ask him for help. Church, we live in a world where our faith is going to be assaulted daily by the enemy. Daily. So in those moments of assault, we need to be able to get down on our knees and pray the prayer that this father prayed to Jesus. We need to go to Jesus for help. Why does Jesus want us to come to him with our struggles, with our doubt? Because Jesus, our Lord, he is the creator of faith in the doubtless heart. Jesus is the creator of faith. He is the author of faith. He is the only one who can build strength in your faith. Let's be very clear. Jesus is worthy of perfect faith. Jesus deserves perfect faith. But the Lord does not require or ask perfect faith of us. Why? Because though we are believers, we are also sinners. We are incapable of ever achieving perfect faith. No matter how strong you are, no matter how strong you think you are, you will never have perfect faith. We will always need to ask for help. We will never be strong enough to persevere through the storm on our own. The miracle that we see happen in this text was not brought on by the faith of the disciples. It was brought on by the faith of the Father. The Father who asked for help. Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that leads us to the question of, well, then how much faith is enough faith? Again, Jesus, our Lord, does not ask perfect faith of us. He does not ask a lot of us. Jesus in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20 says, For I tell unto you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will be able to tell this mountain to move from here to there, and it will. And nothing will be impossible to you. A grain of mustard is the smallest grain in the agriculture of Israel. It is, it is literally tiny. So the focus of this message in this verse is 
Size doesn't matter. Because if size didn't matter, I would really like to think that Jesus would use a bigger seed. I don't know seeds, but I'm guessing pumpkin because that's the biggest one I've seen. But I'm guessing a bigger seed. So the fact that Jesus uses the mustard seed as the example, that is not a mistake. Because also, church, let's be honest, as human beings, we're lazy. If you tell me, hey, if I get to this level up here, I'm going to be able to move mountains, I'm going to focus to getting here, and then I'm going to stop. Where that is not the point. The focus is not the size. So from there, we, we find our application points, which are simple. The power of faith is not determined by the size of your faith, but by the strength of your faith. The only way to strengthen our faith is through the word of God and prayer. Our source of faith is the word of God because the word of God is truth. How do you lose faith? How do you lose trust in someone? Typically, it's from breaking a promise or failing to do what they said they would do. Too often do we portray our lack of faith and our lack of trust of human beings onto God. Another renowned biblical scholar once said, there's nothing more irrational than not to trust God because God is perfectly trustworthy. There is nothing more irrational than not to trust God because God is perfectly trustworthy. Unlike human beings, God has never broken a promise. God will never break a promise. So it is because of that that when we are immersed in the word of God, the truth of the word of God, our strength in faith is never stronger. God will never give or allow his people to walk through a storm without an umbrella. And that umbrella is the word of God, the truth of the word of God that will protect you from the storm. But even when the storm is so strong and the wind is still blowing and the rain is still pounding and that hail is still slamming to the point where you actually believe for a moment that God is not there with you, we are called to pray. We are called to pray to ask for help. And the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples and to us is that even in the midst of the storm, no matter what storm you are in, even if it feels like God is not physically present, Jesus still cares. He cares about you. He cares about everything you're going through, even when it feels like no one else does. Jesus not only cares, but Jesus can do anything. Jesus can get you out of the storm. Does that mean he will? I don't know, because everything is done in accordance to the will of God. Our will and God's will. God's is the only one that matters. Regardless of not, we are called to believe that Jesus can do it. And when we are having those moments of struggle, where we feel like we have no faith, we can go to Jesus just like the Father did, and we can ask for help. As the worship team comes back up to play, my prayer for us on the first day of 2023 was that we as a church family would grow in our trust in God in all circumstances. My prayer for us today on the first Sunday of 2024 is that we as a church will strengthen our faith 
through the word of God in prayer to persevere through any storm that comes our way. And through every storm, have faith and trust in the power of God that God still cares. God still loves us and God still wants us. And God will help us get through it. Not in our way, but his way. And that is always the best way. One of the amazing things about being part of a church is unity. God is there with you in the storm. But even if you feel like he's not, look around. There is everyone here. We are all in this together. We're all living in this world together. We're all in stormy weather together. The amazing thing about church is is unity. So I pray that we lean on each other and we strengthen each other's faith. I pray we trust in God's faith. We have faith to trust in God that he's got us in our jobs. He's got us in our families. He's got us in our marriages. He's got us in whatever other storms that you are going through. And the first step to believing and strengthening your faith is accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The one that will come and meet you in the middle of your storm and wants you to call out to him. If that is you, if today is the day that you feel you are ready to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please come up. We're going to have prayer partners on either side. I'm going to be right here. And we want to pray with you. We want to introduce you to Jesus. And we want to introduce you to the source of the strength of your faith. We love you, church. We're all in this together. So let's strengthen each other.